Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. There's Jan Goldsmith here and David McLean's not with me, but I've just replaced him just for today with another David and I'd like to invite and welcome David Carlin Thank to the you. program. Now, you out there listening, do you ever go to the Melbourne Writers' Festival? It does get a little bit pricey if you go to a lot of the sessions, but every morning they have a free session. It's called The Morning Read. It's where a group of authors talk and read from their books. This is where I first met David Carlin and came across his incredible book, The Abyssinian Contortionist. Now, David Carlin, Abyssinia? Where's that? Abyssinia is uh, what we would think of now as Ethiopia. And uh, the Abyssinia was the was the, was what it, that um, country was formerly called. Um, and the book's called The Abyssinian Contortionist um, because it's about my friend Sassina Wagayu, who's from Ethiopia and came to Australia as a, as a circus performer, which we'll talk about. Um and and early on, she she said that she thought it shouldn't be called anything to do with Ethiopia, because people automatically, when they think of Ethiopia, she said all they think of is nineteen eighty four and the famine, and they look at me and go, "You're a very well fed Ethiopian girl." So so from the start, um, she thought and I agreed that we needed to to upend those those ideas about where she came from. Okay, well let's just think about Ethiopia. It's in the north eastern part of Africa with the Nile running sort of sat down by its western border. It's mountainous and landlocked. And I loved what Cecina used to think about Australia when she looked at Australia on a map. Yeah, that's right. She she when she was in primary school that she she looked at maps of the world and she saw Australia out there all by itself in the middle of the ocean and, and she thought to herself, that's the first place that'll sink. That'll sink. I like that. <laughs> Ethiopia being landlocked. But, you know, it, it's had some incredible uh, history. King Solomon and Queen of Sheba. It, it does have a really interesting history be, because of its geography partly. Um, it's like a, It's a bit like a fortress because it's right on the equator but it's really high up. And um, so it was really hard for for it to be invaded, and so it has a very singular history. It was one of the only countries in Africa that was never colonised, except mm. very briefly by Mussolini. And the Ethiopian emperors always dated um, their heritage back all the way back to the to the Queen of Sheba, who um, it it was said um, had had a child who's the first emperor mm. um, by. King Solomon, and which she'd gone to visit King Solomon in um, in Jerusalem, I think it was, and um, and it was a. It's actually when they tell it, it's a, it's an awful story because she she, <laughs> she was she, tricked. She, she was, was raped. Yeah, she, yeah, that's right. She was she was tricked um, into um, uh, into uh, sleeping with him, and and from this you know union came came the the the, the first emperor of Ethiopia. Uh, and look, th- this is another thing because on the way from Addis Ababa, no, Addis Ababa, which is the capital of um, Ethiopia, there's 
a place called Lalibia. Lalibella. L- oh, see, my <laughs> pronunciation is <laughs> yeah, terrible, but my reading was good. <laughs> and because it's kind of like on the way to Jerusalem, it was built specifically for people who were migrating or well, sort of pilgriming to. Um, well, it was it was built. It's a it's a um, a really fabulous place to to visit. World um, Heritage and, Site. Yeah, World Heritage Site, and it has these incredible series of churches that were built in the 12th century that, that are literally cut out of rock. So they're all, they're, their roof is on ground level and they're in these giant pits, but they're, they're like three stories tall, some of them, and they're beautiful. They're like cathedrals oh, wow. and they're incredibly um, detailed in the carving and, and you can go inside. They're used as churches. They're, they're full of, you know, p- pilgrims and p- you know, monks chanting and things like that. Um, and they were they were built by uh, King Lalibela in the 12th century, and the idea was for um, to recreate Jerusalem for people who couldn't make the pilgrimage oh. there. And so it, it it's, comes complete with you know there's a river Jordan running through it, and <laughs> so it's almost like a sort of 12th century theme park. But it's a it's an incredible place. And Cecina and I went there um, the the um, the last time we were in Ethiopia together. Now, all of these historical facts sort of appear haphazardly through people's stories or what you did with Cecina, but some of them are just wonderful. You mentioned from the Queen of Sheba, the, the line of emperors. Well, there were some doozies. There was one emperor who, um, Emperor Tuadros. Tuadros. Tuadros, who, he wasn't, all the other countries wouldn't sell him arms, any arms, you know, for defence or anything. So... What did he ask the Swiss, Swiss missionaries to do? Well, this was in, I think, around the 1860s. And um, Tawadros, at, the, at that point, um, faced, you know, this was the time where all the Europeans had their scramble for Africa, where they were, you know, madly taking over the place and, and exploiting all the resources and stuff. And so he was trying to defend the country. And... Um, but he was very much, you know, the, the Europeans had superior firepower. So he had the idea that he needed to build the the largest uh, cannon that he could possibly make to, to, you know, as a kind of tactic of shock and awe, really. So he he, he got this thing built, which was called Sevastopol, um, and had it, you know, I don't, I don't know if it even ever functioned, but it was this massive thing which then got dragged across the country and up to the top of this um, mountain where he had his kind of um, last redoubt, and 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 there, you know, eventually. Um, so now it's decoration in one of the uh, used as decoration on one of the the roundabouts. Roundabout. Yeah, there's a roundabout <laughs> in Addis Ababa where there's a. There's a, um, a replica of this this cannon, yeah. Oh, well, now, all of this lineage, this emperor lineage, is meant to go right back to uh, Halel... Um, Haile Selassie. Haile Selassie. Yeah. He was meant to be the last emperor with this direct link to the Queen of Sheba. Yes, and, of course, Haile Selassie is also, he, you know, well-known because he was the... Um, the guy who the Rastafarians think was a was a god, you know, so that that's another whole story about oh, him, which, which doesn't, <laughs> yes. which, which doesn't which doesn't come into uh, to our book. But um, yeah, Haile Selassie, he was um, he was the last emperor. He was deposed um, by General Mengistu in a mm. um, the, the regime called the Derg, which took over in the time when Sassina's parents um, 
uh, you know, they will remember Haile Selassie as the, as the last yes. emperor. Yeah. So back to Cecina. Now she uh, commented about one of the chapters you wrote and she said, oh, I like it, how this part is like a movie. And of course, this part is about how her parents met. And the chapter that David Carlin called it was True Love at Gunpoint. <laughs> yes, that was, I mean, the the thing about Cecina is that the stories she she told me were were, were so extraordinary and the one about how her parents met was was one of the one of the most extraordinary, um, which was, you know, because they they ended up going on to have a a very long you know and very happy marriage, but it actually started through a kidnapping. Yeah. Uh, and so father kidnapped uh, her mother, which I found rather astounding. It was astounding by gunpoint, basically to protect her. From being kidnapped by somebody else. Yes, yes. who had a lot more money. Yes. Who so, would have ravaged her and then uh, then uh, he couldn't have married her. So it was it was just an incredible story. It was, and, and apparently that it was relatively common mm. in 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 that culture that women would be would be taken, as it were, you know, physically taken, uh, as in kidnapped, and then taken sexually and then that would become like a kind of fait accompli um which that would then be presented as being well now you know it's too late she's she's been taken and so you know you have to now go through with the marriage so that this was a not uncommon practice um but in this case there was an element of kind of 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 sort of love Love, and um and respect, I think, from both of them and uh, and a lot of children. So let's have a look <laughs> yes. at this. Um, uh, Cecina, Cecina's mother was oh, 14 when she was first sort of engaged and yeah, 16 they didn't marry, taken. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, sort of did she have a say in it? Not really. <laughs> but everything worked out well. Luckily, so, yes, in So the you end. looked at her two, first her children her two daughters Cecina had an older sister who was very beautiful yes and she's still very much alive and well in in, in, in Addis Ababa she's she's a lovely um person uh, and and Cecina's got um a number of brothers too but her her sister um Cecina always talked about as being yes the, beautiful. the beautiful one and and the, for the one that kind of fulfilled you know, very sort of classic the domestic domestic expectations. yes role within the family and yeah. right from the very beginning, Cecina was not going to fit those domestic expect- expectations, was she? No, she was she was the youngest, and she was kind of one out of the box. Where she used to, um, you know, her mother would try and get her to help with the domestic duties, and she would just jump out the window and escape. Um, and she very early on in her childhood, she decided that. She wanted to be able to do certain things like, you know, go to gymnastics classes mm. and stuff, but the family didn't really have enough money to support her to do that. So she started her own business selling cigarettes on the street. Um, and it, unbeknownst to her, to her parents <laughs> to begin with. And she was, I guess she was a classic tomboy in some ways, but she was... She was really able to stick up for herself on the street, and the, yeah, the other thing that she had is she had skills. She had physical skills. These she, the only uh, television they seemed to have in Ethiopia at this time was um, there was one channel that they had, yes, where they had Bruce Lee movies. So she had the karate moves, but also a German variety show. Yeah, once a week 
I imagine sort of like once a week, like Countdown used to be. <laughs> there was once a week that she would she would watch this particular variety show and she would push back all the furniture in the lounge room and she would sit in the middle of the floor and whatever performances they had on, she would enact them as well. And that's where she taught herself to do contortion. Um, and she... And that was where she did her first performances with her family as the audience. And then she sort of took these performances of, if you can imagine, turning your body into a zero or a nine or a cat or a dog. She had names for them all. And uh, she did them at school. And she quite liked the accolades that she got, you know, so that that whole sense of performer and audience. But, of course, this also gave her a bit of a name. So... On the streets, you know, this is where a lot of the bad boys were, but she was friendly with the bad boys rather than, uh, you know, they didn't take advantage of her. In fact, I think they were a bit frightened of her. <laughs> yes, she was really able to stick up for herself and and not only verbally but also, yeah, she, she kind of had this – because she could do these amazing things with her body, yeah. they they weren't quite sure what she could do, I think. So, you know, she, she, she threatened some kind of fairly martial art moves. <laughs> so she made herself into gymnastics. She got herself into gymna- gymnastics school. And I was amazed at this. You know, you write, you write about how, she, how this school would go and do a show somewhere and put lights on and everything and get three to 4,000. Yeah, well, that was actually – She first of all, she did gymnastics and she became an, a national junior champion at gymnastics. Yeah. But then what she really wanted to do, she decided, was circus. And so it was when she joined the the, the youth circus, um, that's when they started doing performances in um, – they did them anywhere they could really, but um, often on like soccer fields, which in, in Addis Ababa are often just dirt. Mm. Um, and, yeah, and they would go and set up in a particular community, you know, you know um, once a week and bring their sound system and, and just gather this huge crowd because there was nothing else like that, um, you know, available for people to, to – um, people had never seen a show like that before, I suppose. It was the f- first youth so circus of its kind in the that The popularity country. of it then and uh, led to overseas trips. And yes. it was at the Adelaide Festival. Yes, they, they came – yeah, they, they, so they were called Circus Ethiopia – and I actually saw them. So this was before I'd met oh. Sasina, but I saw them at the Adelaide Festival um, when they performed there. And and I must have seen seen Saucy, and she would have been, um, you know, she was a teenager at the time. Uh, and they'd they'd already performed in Europe quite a lot. Um, so they were they were really internationally renowned. But um, as it turned out, not everything was. Was well in the children's no, circus. No, no. So when this children's circus, this is where sort of doubts first started coming in in Adelaide, and then then they moved up to Sydney, and so this is the big part of the story. What happened in Sydney when Susina was only what was she seventeen years yeah, old? Yeah, yeah. Well, they the, the circus. I think gradually over the over the the year or so preceding, as the as the kids had had. Be- been becoming older and they've been becoming more aware of their situation and their rights um a number of things were happening firstly was that they they felt that they they weren't getting paid and they realized when they talked to other performers at the adelaide festival for instance you know and people were shocked that that they weren't they weren't even getting paid the the ten dollars a week that they were supposed to be getting paid as sort of pocket money um 
but also there was a, there were things going on that were a lot darker as mm. well um and you know very tragically it turned out that the that the um the guardian you know the person who'd set up the circus in the first place um ended up being outed as as a pedophile and mm. and a, and a, a member of a kind of ring of pedophiles who worked with you know various NGOs and things in in Ethiopia so there was 15 children well sort of children there and think young adults children and young, young adults who it, asked for asylum yeah so it was very dramatic i think they they got to sydney and, and she said it could have been it was just luck that it was in i mean it was just chance that it was in australia it could have been mm. in europe or anywhere they just that at that point it, it it reached boiling point and and various people thought that the whole circus was falling apart and that they had to they had to get out before mm. it was too late and um so one morning she she woke just up and 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 nine of the people had gone. had gone and and suddenly there was this sense where you know if you don't well, do it now <laughs> yes what's going to happen and and so yeah they 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 got yeah, on a train and sought asylum in melbourne yeah and melbourne melbourne had an ethiopian community so that's basically why they came here but you know when when you read and of course uh, david carlin is uh, the author that i'm speaking with you know you, you find out about all the different causes that that people can claim asylum and the rights of children are not one of them so you know this whole it was very iffy they got rejected sort of so many times had to take it further and this whole asylum thing you know where they're living in in a, just such an, an incredible time where they couldn't earn money and because they were kids you know it was school no school what do you do how do you house them incredible and, amount of yes and 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 she also made it clear you know that they how hard it was to 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 make that decision and to ring up their parents and say <laughs> we're not we may be never coming home again we might never see you again um and yeah so so hearing all of those stories about how um the the, the years of of struggle they went through mm. to to be able to um, have their claims accepted, and then the struggles afterwards that Sosina also had on behalf of her brother, for instance, who mm. also he was in a refugee camp in in Egypt and was trying to to seek asylum. You know, he'd been accepted as a refugee, but but couldn't couldn't um, wasn't allowed to come to Australia. So she she has had a constant battle for a number of years, and I think. You know that was one of the reasons, um, also one of the sort of themes that we wanted to bring out in the book as well is that, you know, the 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 issue of asylum seekers has yeah. been such a, a a big and fraught one for Australia, and we you know we've got this terrible situation at the moment with these people oh, on Manus Island yes. and Nauru, and you know, and and I think um, to be able to hear and understand a and and humanize a, a, a story of someone who who was an asylum seeker, even if a, a very unusual story. Mm. But but still, you know, I think we need as much of that as we can because um, the the cruel treatment that asylum seekers face is often based on you know dehumanization and demonization and 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 not hearing their actual stories and not seeing them as individuals and as people. 
David Cullen, we're not going to have a time to actually go through just what she succeeded at in Cecina, because you know she ended up being, being a Victorian uh, youth, youth young, vi- yeah, young, young Australian of the Year via the Victorian yeah. um, nominee, you know, and she and she toured the world with Circus now. Oz. She was one of the first graduates of NICA, the National Circus School, um, and and now she's actually started her own circus um, back um, back in Addis Ababa called Gamo Circus School. Which is um, which is fulfilling a you know a a dream of being able to um provide skills for and and future careers for kids in Ethiopia. Some of her some of her kids from there have already got jobs in circuses in the United States, mm-hmm. um, and so yeah, she's she's she never stops. She never, never, you know, it's just incredible what she has achieved in this book because she just doesn't say no. She asks, she just keeps asking and, and she gets things. Yeah, she's phenomenal. got an incredible spirit and that's what oh, I was so fascinated. That's what, yeah, yeah, absolutely in the book. Look, we, we see sort of so many differences between the Ethiopian um, culture and the Australian culture. Uh, the Ethiopian culture, of course, you know, even in time, they start time differently. They start twi- time at... Yeah, they have a different calendar. And the different calendar, there's overnight languages and 200 letters in, in um, their Amharic. Well, then that's only one of their many languages. Oh, and you go into fabulous detail about a funeral of her father that you were there to um, just be part of. Phenomenal. So these are all cultural differences. But I... And I don't think we're going to have time, which is a pity, because David was going to read about... The hard decision um, Cecina had in whether she should bring up her child in Ethiopia, where they have so much love and money and co- not not money, not money. None, <laughs> not love, family and culture, in contrast to Australia. Well, uh, well I think there was. Uh, the, I mean, there's lots of things that Cecina completely loves and appreciates about. Australia and about living in Australia, but it was really interesting to hear her talk about um, her own childhood and now that she's got children of her own and thinking about what she wanted for them. And, you know, we would probably think, oh, of course you'd want to, you know, it must be better to be brought up in Australia than in Ethiopia because it's such a poor country. But but in terms of the the sense of culture and community, there were, there were and, you know, having been there and stayed with her family there, I know what she's talking about. You know, just the household full mm. of people coming and going, and constantly, you know, this this kind of vibrant um, sense of, of of community, as against, you know, a, a suburban life here, which is much more ten, can be much more isolating and you know difficult to know your neighbours and all those sorts of things. So it was really interesting to 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 um, hear that. But the difference is, and this is how she finishes up. It's actually the connections between people. You know, she would never have met you in Ethiopia. She had to come to Australia. And this is where Australia hopefully does blend a lot more cultures together. So how did you, why, how come, David Carlin, how come you wrote Cecina's story? Well, that's a very good question. And um, it was because we were both working at Circus Souls together. She was working there as a performer and I was working there uh, as a director. And because I had a background as a theatre director. And so that's how we, we got to know each other. Um, and I started hearing some of her stories that she told me, and um, and she was interested in in having a book 
she she was interested in having her stories told, but she's not a writer herself. And I, uh, after I'd, I'd published my own memoir book, a story about my own family, and I was interested in finding a story to tell that was something very different. Mm. And so we kind of thought, well, maybe maybe this is a, something that we can do together, as it were. Um, and so, um, so we, you know, it's very much about the negotiation of the story itself. I think if, if you know, if, when you read it, um, because I'm not trying to tell her story from her point of view, it's very much about um, the interplay between us and the, the different cultural mm. perceptions and really about how my, me as a white Australian, you know, tries to, you know, cross that bridge to understand what it's like to be someone who comes from from Ethiopia, um, and 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 vice versa, to hear what it's been like for her coming into our culture as well. Yeah, well, you you say that you're a uh, director of a theatre, but that's only one of the jobs you have. What's your job now, <laughs> which gives you a little bit of a, a step up as a writer? Well, yeah, so I I'm a writer and I teach creative writing at at RMIT University as well, um, and we've got a. Um, uh, a fabulous research group there called the Nonfiction Lab um, that I've been one of the co co leaders of, um, and so that's that's a great place to um, to develop um, and foster writing, other people's writing, and also for me to be able to continue with my own writing projects like this one. Well. Great story, incredible life, you know, and we, we not only learn about Cecina, but we also learn a lot about you in this, don't we? Uh, although you say it's not about me, but there is, because she's just so different to you, and I think that's how you use her spirit as a... Yeah, I think that the thing that I, um, you know, thought about, the thing that I, I really admire in her is her fearlessness um, and... You know, because I'm I'm a much more sort of cautious person, and I so I I learnt a lot from her about um, taking risks. You know, obviously as a circus performer, she does that, but just in her life generally, mm-hmm. and um, and so yeah, I think I think that she just upends and, and she upended a lot of my preconceptions, and she's you know she's in no way a victim or you know. A poor person from Ethiopia. Um, she's a she's a real um, a, a fantastic spirit and a kind of role model, I think, for lots of people. Anybody who reads this, she would make our lives richer. Absolutely, just from yes. knowing her <laughs> or reading about her. So, David Carlin, thank you for bringing us Susina. Thank you, and can I just say the um, yeah the the author's proceeds go towards Susina's um, new circus, the Gummo Circus School. So. Um, Gamma, yeah, Ethiopian yeah. for lion. Yeah, yeah, and it's published by UWA Publishing. <laughs> UWA Publishing. Okay, so I've been speaking with David Carlin about his book, The Abyssinian Contortionist, published by UWA. Thanks very much, David. Thank you.